0: The Nemeth Narratives is a collection of stories infused with delightful and insightful thoughts, punctuated with side trips to the fear and anxiety that often challenges many of us in moving forward towards our goals, our dreams, our successes. This is a collection of stories narrated by the authors that take us through their personal journeys intermingled with the roller coaster ride of emotions. For some, it's the first time they've shared. And it started with one thought. Everyone has a story. Our collection of stories began as the participants coast their creativity out over plates of comforting Filipino food. Through the sounds of joyful sharing, Alicia, that's me, Emma, and Benito explained the concept of using Community-Friendly Platform, a podcast so that this group of younger generation artists and creatives in San Diego could share their journeys of hope.
1: It was not an easy process. It took several months of self-exploration and intuitive storytelling by each of our subjects before they each settled on a topic and allowed themselves to hear their own voice and share them with us, the audience. The culmination of self and group growth led us to our first collaboration, The Nemeth Narratives. We thank and honor our storytellers for allowing us to accompany them on their journey. And the following artists are Adrian Pangilinan, Elixis Julio, Isabel Adamos, Jessica Mercado, Kayla Gaylang, Marian Aguas, Marisa Rojas, Martha Gaiters, Colin Scully, Seth Dasho, and Trixie Aguiao. The Nemeth Narratives is funded by the Alexander and Eva Nemeth Foundation and done in partnership with the San Diego Filipino Cinema, a San Diego-based nonprofit. The project is led by the wonderful Alicia De Leon Torres, a creative writer and the deputy director of the Nemeth Foundation, Emma Francisco Bautista, an award-winning independent film producer and me, Benita Bautista, an independent film director.
2: Hi, I'm Trixie Anagiao. I am a San Diego-based artist. I am a mental health advocate living with mental illness. I have CPSD, depression, and anxiety. I am also a dancer and a choreographer and a performer. I am a creative. I love being a creative. I love listening to other people's stories, and I'm very excited. Well, huh, I'm very—I <laughs> don't know. Excited is a loaded word, so not excited. I am very proud of myself that I'm actually going to share this, um, and there are people behind me which feels strange, but I do think it's a good thing. And I'm grateful to have their support, and I'm grateful to have your support, um, person listening at home or wherever you are. My life is full of secrets and shame, and honestly, I think that's very Asian. One day, five years ago, my mother called me crying and asked me where she went wrong as a mother. I, sitting in my living room in the middle of the day, was taken aback and didn't know what to say. Luckily, or unluckily, she kept talking. She started sobbing. She was all over the place while she spoke, but I finally understood what she was asking me was where she went wrong because my brother and I were failures. She didn't actually say the word failures, but I don't know if it was because she was so lost in her sadness that she was incoherent or if she just knew not to say failures aloud. I can tell you it was painfully clear what she meant. I can tell you that I wanted to start sobbing myself, but instead I clenched my jaw, took a deep breath and told her that my brother and I were adults now. Whatever we do with our own lives, is our own decision. That was the most truthful and diplomatic I could be. Then I told my mom to go take a nap. She said, okay. I hung up and then I walked into my room, into my closet and cried for hours. I have been crying in my closet since I was a little girl. I didn't have a big closet. It was about six feet long, two feet deep, and had thin wooden doors that would slide. I cried facing my clothes because I hoped they would soak up some of the sound. I didn't cry very loud though. I knew not to. And the back of my closet was also the wall to my older brother's room, so I couldn't. Crying was bad. How did I know this? Well, one, my mom crying was always scary. And it usually came with being screamed at or being blamed. I remember hearing my mom cry from across our house when I was six. So I came running to her. My father was trying to hold her down in bed as she was thrashing. Her eyes glazed over. She kept yelling, this is your fault. You ruined my life. My father saw me and begged my mother and Ilocano to stop because I was there. She kept screaming and crying So I started crying. I kept asking what was wrong, but no one said anything. My brother was there too. But I only knew this because my older cousin who was visiting picked me up and took both of us out of the room. Crying was scary. So I didn't want to cry at all. These are some of my and my family secrets. And they are also some of my shame. It's weird though, because they shouldn't be things I should be ashamed about, but since it's my family's secrets, I do feel shame. I struggle with that a lot. I struggle with what parts of my life are okay to share because it's not just my life I'm talking about, but these are parts of my life that have deeply shaped me. So I will say before I continue that this is hard. Recording this now is hard because I am sharing my secrets and I do feel ashamed. I feel guilt and I'm trying not to, but I would be straight up lying if I said that I'm sharing this with you confidently and unabashed. Let me tell you a little more about my family. My brother hid his emotions like I did. I love my brother very much, but because we couldn't show who we were, I don't know him, know him. That does make me sad. And it makes me sad that he doesn't know me, know me either. And by the way, my brother and I are not failures and we were really good kids. My brother got good grades, did all the sports and went to college. I got good grades, was artsy since middle school and also went to college. Neither of us ever got in trouble. We didn't do any drugs. We went to the family parties. We were good kids, great even if I say so myself. My father, I don't know him know him either. I do know that he is the most patient and supportive man in the world to my mother. I've only seen him angry twice in my life. Once when he was giving up smoking and blew up at something small only to go outside for five minutes, then come back in and apologize to my mother. The second time was when our neighbor threatened my family. He told our neighbor to then hit him if he was gonna do something. Our neighbor did nothing. And that little moment was so weird to me because my dad is a quiet and silly man. He definitely lightens up my mother. My mother definitely had my father to support her. She also had her children who did their best to support her. There was only enough room for my mother to have support. There was only enough room for my mother to have emotions and be heard. There were no real conversations, or at least I wasn't a part of any. So if You may wonder how this all affected me in my adulthood. Let me tell you. It affected me pretty fucking horribly. I went to college and I felt like my brain exploded. I lost my ability to control my crying. I was losing the ability to control my emotions. All those years of trauma and repressed emotions were literally bursting out of me and I couldn't handle it and I was so frustrated because I had always been able to handle it. What I'm pretty sure what happened was that one, my prefrontal cortex was developing and I literally had more cognition and understanding about everything that happened to me. And two, leaving home took me out of a certain survival mode. For the first time I was out and I wasn't having to be hypervigilant thinking about my mother. So my brain was blowing up and burning me. And I was so desperate for it to go away that I went to therapy. Me, an Asian girl, went to talk to strangers about my problems. You know what happens when you're raised to not share emotions, focus on others, and not talk about your problems or trauma you faced? Well, for me, the secrets and shame became my identity. One thing that I still to this day struggle with is labeling myself a bad daughter. I think that is super Asian. And I use the fact that every freaking Asian girl I know feels like crying when they hear, who is that girl I see? Freaking Mulan, man. So here I am the bad daughter. I am not close with my family. I live far from them. I did not get over dancing and go to graduate school. I am not a doctor or nurse and I don't have a financially stable job. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of my bad daughterness. <laughs> there was so much guilt living in me when I first went away to college. I spent a lot of my first therapy sessions talking about how different family members of my family were struggling and hurting. I even kept a lot of my family truths hidden from my therapist because I was afraid my therapist would judge them or that they might get in trouble. My life was based around hiding and carrying everything. And I lived in shame because I couldn't make myself go back to fix things or at least try. For most of my life, even to this day, though in much less capacity, how I thought of myself was tied directly to my relationship with my family. My choices were barely ever for me. They were for my family. I never told them about how I was molested as a child for years because I knew my mother couldn't take it. She was too unstable. So I never said anything, and I learned to move on from that without them. The choices I did make for myself, which were basically dance and staying in San Diego, made me feel so guilty. Guilty for years. Especially because I wasn't even a commercial dancer like my god sisters. I was like the weird artsy one, so there were no like health benefits or like W9 or anything. So I ended up feeling guilty for doing something I loved. And I still felt guilty for staying away, but I needed to so I could survive. So that I could be something outside of being a bad daughter, outside of being shamed or feeling shame and outside of being a dumping ground for emotions and unresolved trauma. So I stayed here in San Diego and I danced and I found happiness but it was always shrouded in shame and curbed by the heaviness of my secrets. I did not deserve this happiness. I was not a good person. My depression was going to eventually eat me alive because I was too weak. So then my mental illness became my identity. I remember laying on the floor with one of my best friends and crying that no one would ever love me because I'm too sad. And I was too sad, like I was broken. And of course, I hid it off from my parents because they couldn't handle it. And also Filipino people don't go to therapy. Again, I am Asian. I'm supposed to be able to deal with everything by pushing forward and working hard. Another one of my friends in college who's Japanese said to me once, Asians, there isn't always love, but there is good work ethic. That one slapped me in the face, and it stuck. It was a good summation of everything I felt and experienced growing up. And it's probably why I felt so much guilt that I had to fix things and work to please for my family, but then I couldn't, and I quit being there for my family, which would be showing poor work ethic. Anyways, so guess who I tried to please since I couldn't please my parents? Boys. Boys. Ugh. So when college ended, my therapy and my medication ended with it. It was a harsh transition that the school definitely did not help me with. So guess what? I became more fucking depressed and it was just the perfect shit storm because leaving college and being an adult can already be traumatic. I didn't know what I wanted to do with life. I knew I didn't want to go home. I was so depressed. I stopped eating and had to ask my best friend if we could eat lunch together so I could force myself to eat. This is how I was coping with the rough transition. And unfortunately, this is how I met my abusive ex-boyfriend. He was also having a bad time. And so my best friend wanted to have lunch with him too. And we did, repeatedly. So we got to know each other and ended up dating. Looking back, I know I got with him because he was giving me the attention I needed at that point in my life, because I was so afraid that I was going to forever be alone, so yay attention. So I went in, hoping that a relationship would fix things, and of course it didn't. I tried to kill myself while I was drunk and hanging out with him and his friends. No one knew I had drunkenly found my way up to the roof and was ready to end everything. Luckily, drunk me was startled by my boyfriend's friends as they came out of the house. I didn't want them to see me drunk, trying to climb and failing at climbing higher and higher because, you know, I was drunk. So I scrambled back down and into the window. My drunk embarrassment saved my life. Man, I really thought I was worthless back then. I never told my boyfriend what happened. Instead, I tried to make it up to him by being a good girlfriend. I tried to be a good girlfriend by cooking and paying for things. I tried to be a good girlfriend by being fun and hiding all the shit that was going on inside of me until I developed anxiety ticks. I would start scratching my hands or my feet together. And fortunately he really did not like that. I think at first He was trying to be compassionate and help me stop. But then he would get so frustrated, which would make me scratch more. He didn't know how to deal with me or my sadness, even after I told him about some of my life. To be fair, I didn't know how to deal either. But he would just get so mad. And then that would trigger my anxiety. And then we went in a cycle. My anxiety his anger, more anxiety, more anger. He would be physically forceful with getting me to stop scratching, but he never hit me. He just yelled and put me down. So I really tried to suppress my mental illness more, but it never worked. At one point, I had been really suicidal for months and I finally worked up the courage to tell him. His response was, what are you trying to get me to do? What do you want from me? He got so mad and accused me of trying to manipulate him. And he did that a lot. Always telling me that I was playing games with him when I was just trying to tell him how he was feeling. There is a term now, it's gaslighting. He did that a lot, and I did feel like I was crazy. Around the same time, he was cheating on me, at the very least emotionally, with his coworker. He kept telling me there was nothing, and I tried to believe him so hard. I even tried to get close with her so I could feel better, but that didn't change the facts. I gaslit myself because I couldn't be alone again. That was, just, that, that was my response. I just gaslit myself and no one else was gonna love me, so I kept trying to make it work until one day where he broke up with me. Better isn't best. That's what my therapist said to me, not after this abusive relationship when I first came to her, but after I got with my next boyfriend. Ugh. Before I go on, I really want to say that I got really lucky finding this particular therapist. She was a friend of a good friend. And if it weren't for that, there would be no way I could have afforded her. So please, Medicare for all. Please, everyone like needs help. And this shouldn't be something that people are struggling to afford. Okay. Yes, that. But really, Medicare for all. Going on. This new boyfriend wasn't abusive, and so I thought this relationship was, like, amazing for a really long time. I'm not going to keep talking about my less-than-great relationships in my 20s, because if we really got into all of that, it would be at least, like, 100 episodes of two-hour podcasts. And the podcast description would be, One young and traumatized Filipino woman struggles to find her identity outside her family by desperately trying to find it in men. Those podcasts are for another day, but it's the sentiment that is important. I didn't know who I was when I wasn't being an emotional support person for my mother. I did not know who I was if I wasn't someone's good girlfriend. I did not know who I was besides being a sad, weak, and shameful daughter failing to keep the secrets in. It took me forever to accept that that wasn't my actual identity. I was fortunate to find something else that I could attach my self-worth to, which I realized after years already of already doing it, and it was dance. Dance was the only thing in my life that I kept consistent and constant since high school. It was the only thing I ever felt good at. I double majored in dance and psychology, so my parents could somewhat be appeased with my education. And I worked 14 hour days at four different jobs so I could keep dancing. I did whatever I could to keep dancing. And like I said, I didn't realize until I was probably about my mid-20s that being a dancer was a legitimate part of my identity. It was the only part of my identity that I shaped through being determined, creative, and focused and it was weird to realize like there was definitely a moment where I was dancing and I was like oh my gosh I'm what's best the guys I dated they got better but really I was best and I had an identity and yes part of that was the good old Asian work ethic but it was for something I loved and something that gave me joy Dance is how I learned to express myself when I couldn't outright say what was happening on the inside. Being on a hip-hop team in college probably kept me sane because all of the anger and anxiety I was carrying had to go somewhere, Um, and all that helped me look and dance really strong. One of the first dances I made at school was actually inspired by toxic Filipino culture, and it was about a child being ostracized for trying to be different. Dance is where I learned I had what it takes to produce shows and make things happen. It's weird how much you can make of yourself while you're doing something else. I was creating my identity all along, but I couldn't see it. At the time, dance was just a means of holding on and making sense of anything. And so now that I'm better, like I, I'm actually purposely creating... A path, and I'm more aware of who I am, and it feels so much better. It just feels better. Like, I wish I could take what was ever on the inside of me and like throw it at you so you can understand. Because going from all the way down there to where I am is just, it's, it's so weird. It's so, it's like cool because. A lot of times you think people can't change and things don't change, but they do and they can. And I do believe in that. So yeah, I wish I could somehow transfer that feeling, but I just want to say like, that's real. Change is real. Becoming better, living a better life, being able to do all those things. Like they're real. There is still a lot I don't know about myself. There are still a lot of secrets and shame within me that I don't want to carry and I'm still figuring out how to put them down. We have not discussed this outright, but I still don't know how to disentangle my family trauma from my Filipino heritage, or even if I should. Where I am today is the beginning of my healing journey. And it's taken me a long time to get here and say how I want to heal with as minimal guilt and shame as possible. It's taken me a long time to know what my boundaries are. I do not want to heal from trauma with my family. I do not want to look for closure in my mother. I love my family and I hope they are healing and I hope they get the closure they need, but they can't get it from me. I have spent my whole life hiding who I am and what I need just to fill my mother's needs and to keep some sort of peace, but I don't wanna do that anymore. I just want my own identity. I don't want my happiness to be contingent on whether or not I can give my family what they need to get from professionals. I'm not a professional. I am, I am their family member. As I say this, I'm fighting back the fear of being judged because I'm sure I am being judged. I'm sure there are people that are taking my words about my life personally and that there are people who are thinking, well, Wouldn't you want your children to forgive you? That to me is selfish. No, if I do the same harm to my children, I hope they only forgive me if they need it for themselves. I will take the responsibility for the harm that I have done by apologizing if they let me, giving them space, helping them financially with therapy if they want it, and reflecting on the hurt that I have caused. I am not entitled to their happiness or their lives. I gave them no choice on whether or not I wanted to bring them into this world. They would be my miracle. That doesn't mean I would be theirs. So how do I want to heal? Honestly, I just want to talk to other Asian women. I want to start a podcast about discussing and celebrating Asian women healing and finding their true selves. I want to feel connected and not alone even if it's for just the length of a podcast. I wanna discuss shame, secrets, identity, and all of that with other Asian women who are willing to share so we can learn from each other and grow together. I wanna be part of changing Asian culture's feelings about mental health. I wanna change the narrative of showing gratitude from being an obedient daughter to showing gratitude by living a life that makes me truly fulfilled and happy. I wanna cry into a microphone and as far from a closet as possible. I just want to be free to be me.